This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Extra Weekly Podcast, and this time it's taking the form of a series preview as we're looking ahead to the Raptors and 76ers, the two seed versus the three seed, and the most exciting guest I could possibly get for this, the guy who has made it his business to preview series better than anyone else apparently, to dive into the clutches of the earth and to pull 5,300 words from the depths of it. Lewis and you're the perfect guy to talk about the 76ers with as you've just finished doing a massive deep dive on them. How you doing, man? Hey, buddy. Thanks so much for having me. I'm doing great. I, uh, yeah, you know, got to sleep last night after I finished. Everything's, everything's looking up. What, what time did you get to sleep? Oh, it was early because, so last time, my, I published my deep dive like 9 a.m. the morning after we found out the opponent, but because... Um, yesterday, Raptors Republic had a bunch of great, you know, game stuff after game five. There wasn't really space for a deep dive, so I had a whole extra day. Plus, I sort of knew, you know, who Toronto would be playing, so I had almost all of it written way early, oh. right? So I was asleep at a normal time. Oh, wow, good for you. Yeah, I specifically remember seeing a tweet, and I didn't know it was the precursor to seemingly you starting out this this new thing for your career where you do these massive deep dives, but you're like, I got a full pot of coffee. I got a preview for tomorrow. And I was like, oh, well, that's exciting. I didn't know that that entailed that you'd be writing, you know, a ha- half a book, but that's uh, that's something else. Oh, something else to mention for the listeners. Uh, Lewis is of, he's in rare air as somebody who has been acknowledged by an NBA player's mother. Uh, Kyle Lowry's mom showed love to Lewis's latest piece. His love letter to Kyle Lowry. Dear Kyle Lowry, how cool was that? So I was actually at dinner last night with my mom who was visiting. And uh, I was I was rudely on my phone, I'll admit. <laughs> and I saw that. <laughs> and I, I like slid out of my, my booth under the table. And everyone was like, are you okay? Like, what just happened? It was cool. I was really happy. Yeah, I was so happy to see that. I remember uh, Katie Heindel had a tweet that she liked. And I was like, oh, that's funny. And then I saw... I didn't know Kyle Lowry's mom was on Twitter prior to that. But after I saw that and recognized her account and then saw that she had quote tweeted your article, I was like, that is just the coolest thing. I hope she did the mom type of thing where she sent it to her son. <laughs> and uh, Kyle Lowry's phone was sitting there with Dear Kyle Lowry uh, by Louis Zatzman. That's, that's the pipe dream, I think. Well, yeah, there are enough people that quote tweeted it, you know, adding him, which I, I would never at an athlete in my thing. Yeah. But uh, so what would be weird, though, you know, if you're her, how weird would it be to just have strangers writing love letters to your children? Yeah, that's uh, it's a different world, you know, yeah. that's uh, well, 
and then like that's kind of a sweeter edge of it is like there's strangers writing these these wonderful i guess allegories to their children's books about Kyle Lowry and the the type of effect he has on basketball and and watching it as a fan and then there's like what Lauren Miles got earlier this year being like CJ Miles' husband or a wife and then yeah. having like a bunch of 16 year olds angry at her on Twitter and all that yeah it's, ups uh, and downs yeah definitely but also you know in the in the close circle with an NBA player someone who is top 300 at their craft so good for them probably everybody in that realm i said before this podcast i was gonna do a concise job (laughs) and (laughs) i've already done this anyway let's get into it first thing i want to talk about i talked about this briefly with michael pina talked about briefly with anna jane smith matchups there are a lot of different ways that this series can go as far as matchups there's a lot just because of I guess by proxy of how big the 76ers and the Raptors both are, specifically through positions three through five, and almost, I guess, really similar between three and four. There's a lot of different matchups that can go on, and especially with Ben Simmons playing the one. Where does Kyle Lowry play on defense? Who is picking up Ben Simmons? Who's guarding Jimmy Butler? What's your take on all that stuff? Yeah, that stuff is really fun to play with. And I think, you know, before we get into the nitty gritty, which I do a lot in the deep dive is it's worth mentioning, you know, the Raptors are going to switch a ton. Philly is going to switch probably a a lesser amount, but still a a fair amount. And so, you know, no matter what matchups we talk about, it's all going to be thrown out of the window after the first action. And then after the first game, it might change. So, so all of this stuff is a little bit less important, I think, than we're making it out to be. But uh, so I would say, that being said, the only matchup we know for sure is Embiid on Gasol. And uh, Adam McQueen wrote a really cool piece about uh, that matchup for Raptors Public, sort of the success Gasol has had against Embiid in the past. And you wrote really great about how Gasol defended Vooch. And uh, I mean, do you, do you think that'll be sort of the same defensive thing? Well, it really makes me wonder about Embiid's health. Because if Embiid is healthy, then Gasol is an okay matchup and Embiid is just the best center in the league and will eat the sun and kill babies and just completely (laughs) annihilate anything put in front of him, right? Like, he's an absolute monster when he's healthy. And even though Marcus Gasol is a pseudo seven-footer and he's a heavy-set guy for the league now, Embiid is packing probably 45, 50 extra pounds and probably six extra inches of reach, maybe even more. There's there's a lot going on for Embiid that is in his benefit. However, like I when I wrote that big piece on Gasol, Vucevic, how they're defending the DHO and pick and roll actions, it was it did highlight that Gasol was capable of doing a good job. But more important than that, and something you alluded to with the switching, they didn't switch very often. But the Raptors, when they played defense with Gasol in those actions, they could have switched. But it was the versatility of Green, of Siakam, of Leonard, of Lowry that allowed Gasol to stay at home. Mm -hmm. And there was so much overcompensation, or let's say just compensation, done by the aforementioned four players that allowed Gasol to stay at home and allowed him to stick on Vooch. Will they be able to do that with the 76ers? I think so. 
I just don't think that Gasol on Vucevic is as, or I don't think that Gasol and Embiid is as, I guess, straight across the board as good a matchup as Gasol and Vucevic, as we all know. But I think that the Raptors will be able to funnel the offense in similar ways. I think that Gasol showed that he's able to play, you know, a decent modicum of defense in those types of actions, especially against a big five. And also that Green, Lowry, Siakam, and Leonard are very capable of helping out and massaging a lot of the the problems that come along with those actions targeting Gasol. I agree, I agree with that. Um, funny story about Gasol, you know, battling with big guys. So one of the first one-on-ones I had with an NBA guy, I was chatting with Marc Gasol before the Celtics game, the last one of the regular season. And uh, we'd found out Gasol was coming off the bench, and so I was talking to him about how he was going to have to you know, fight with Baines all night. And because Baines is always, I mean, he's an absolute bruiser. Like JV, you know, hated the guy. And, uh, and so it's like, you know, hey, that must suck. You must be not looking forward to all the ice, you know, after the game. Cause I was like, buddy, I don't, I don't care. Gasol so welcomes <laughs> that contact, that physicality in a way that most centers don't. Like, I agree, Embiid has a lot of weight on him, but Gasol's. I mean, he dishes out more pain than he's taken. Yeah, totally. And I guess another point that is, I guess, important is that while Embiid is extremely talented, there's a lot of, I guess, feelings around the league that he doesn't maximize every bit of it when he's in the post. It's very clear that he's of paramount importance to the 76ers, and that was very clear during the Nets series. But Embiid is, I guess, a little bit lazy when it comes to turnovers, sometimes can be sloppy. He thinks if he has a step on the guy that that's it. He thinks that like if he's doing a sweep through, it's going to be good. But as we've seen, Gasol has some of the most active hands at the center position in the league. And I think there can be there's a lot of potential for a lot of very frustrating, uh, I guess, possessions for Embiid ahead where... Embiid might think he has the edge. He might be going and just a quick swat will leave the ball bouncing off his knee and going out of bounds because Embiid is, he's turnover prone. Yeah. And Gasol is wily and very, uh, like, one of the best, I guess, post-up defenders league-wide. And he has a, a very stark veteran presence compared to, let's say, Jared Allen, who Joel Embiid played in the first round. Yeah, Embiid's great in the post. He's almost as good as Pascal Siakam. But uh, <laughs> just to continue the matchup stuff, um, I agree. And, and the thing that is similar to Orlando is there's non-shooters Toronto can cheat off of, you know. Uh, they can double Embiid in the post when he gets post position. They'll probably put Kawhi Leonard on Simmons, at least to start. You know, that was super successful in the regular season. And Leonard can take a couple extra feet in. Um, because, you know, Simmons is a great cutter. He's a great passer. Uh, and guys will pick that up. You know, they rotate so quickly. Zach Lowe and Kevin Arnovitz were talking about this on their last podcast. Um, Toronto's guys don't really need a scheme to play smart. They just, they know when to make those reads to pick a guy up or to, uh, to cheat off to help somebody else. So, so I would say Kawhi on Simmons, probably Lowry on Redick. Um, Lowry can guard anyone like Butler is a possibility, but Green is just uh, a better option there, more size, you know, more length, especially to bother those mid-range looks that Butler loves so much. Uh, and then Siakam on Harris. But 
those those four are totally switchable. You know, if Lowry gets stuck on Tobias Harris, that almost I think that could be the best possible look for Toronto is uh, Siakam on Butler and Lowry on uh, Harris Green on Redick, not to be that's, used over the whole series, but just like clutch possessions. Well, that's interesting. Is that was I actually thought that that was what the Raptors would march out with was I thought that because of how important the DHO actions, whether they're run at the elbow or above the break with J.J. Redick and Joel Embiid are to the 76ers offense, hmm. I surmised that they would actually have, and like you alluded to five minutes prior, well, maybe not so far, but Kevin Arnovitz, Zach Lowe talking about how smart the back end of the Raptors' defense is. To my eye, a lot of that seems to be because of Kyle Lowry and how good he is at directing traffic. You can see he's always talking, and he's always compensating for, uh, you know, a rotation that's slightly off. So since Tobias Harris is oftentimes on the weak side, away from the action, I thought that the Raptors actually might be very bold and start Lowry out there on Harris and have him towards the back end of the defense. And I actually thought they'd start with Siakam on Simmons and Kawhi on Butler, and then uh, Jared. Or, uh, sorry, Danny Green chasing around J.J. Redick, which is wildly different than what you proposed. And that's half the fun of this series is we both, you know, we we agree, I think, on almost everything we've talked about in, you know, our seven months of knowing each other. But we have almost polar opposites in this. Like, I guess let's get into, like, why is, what are the reasons why they would start with your starting lineup as opposed to the one I proposed? Well, I think you want to start simpler. Right, you don't want to open up with your changeup. You know, your first pitch is a fastball, not a changeup. Um, and yeah, so Lowry on Harris is good for a lot of reasons. Um, when guys back down Lowry, that's incredible for Toronto's defense. Um, but you don't start Lowry on a big. You know, they didn't start Lowry on Gordon or Isaac. They used it to blow up actions already in progress. Um, and yeah, you want Lowry on the least threatening uh, offensive player, not because he's an incapable defender, but because he's at his best when he's uh, on the weak side, directing traffic, cheating in, stunting, rotating, taking charges, which he doesn't do on ball. And so uh, all that stuff, you know, makes sense, but isn't something you want from the 24 to 22nd range of the shot clock. That's more from the, the 19 to 10 um, after the switches, after the actions, you know, blowing up the the actual look. Because if you start with Lowry on Harris, then um, then you don't need a switch, right? That, uh, also, you don't want Lowry taking, you know, big guys on the block 40 times a game. You want that to be something five to seven times a game, a special look, you know, to stymie out a late clock attempt. But uh, I don't know if, if that's in the long-term interest for Lowry to be taking that kind of abuse. I think that would, if another team actually indulged the Raptors so far in this to go at Lowry like 25 times in the post, I think they'd end up scoring like 68 points for the game. Probably. (laughs) I think the Raptors (laughs) would run away with it. But yeah, as far as how that would affect Lowry's, um, I guess, role on offense, it could limit him. That's a, it's a big ask. That was, yeah. I guess, just in my head, I was, you do make a good point, though, is you start with your fastball, and the Raptors, they, they project to be the better team anyway, 
you probably don't have to throw out anything fancy. You don't have to cross match it all like that to get things yeah. going. And just walk out there, go against the 76ers, especially with Embiid not at full health, and just kind of see if you can pound them into the ground as exactly. is. Yeah. And the one so I totally up, agree with that. The one matchup I think that is potentially problematic is the normal point guard, point guard. Like Simmons is the one guy, I mean, Embiid obviously. But Simmons is the one non-center who Lowry cannot guard in the post. You know, Simmons, Simmons will eat his lunch in the post. Um, he's just yeah. so fluid and so big. And that's the natural point guard. So, you know, a little bit of cross-matching. but um, Yeah, I, it might, there's some sort of, I guess, arrogance in me that I, I am more worried about Jimmy Butler than I am worried about Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons does not concern me overly and I I don't know if that's just an effect of being on Twitter too much and seeing the word coward scribbled across (laughs) different timelines or if it's just averaging like seven or eight turnovers per game against the Raptors this year but he doesn't worry me that much and as long as the Raptors defense remains you know as good as it has been the 76ers defense I don't think will present as many problems for the Raptors as the Magic defense did. And that's not to say that the Magic are a better team than the 76ers. I just think that the Raptors will have an easier time on offense. And so I think that the Raptors will provide less and less opportunities for the 76ers to get out and run. I just, I love watching Ben Simmons rack his brain in the half-court offense. And I think that the Raptors will love seeing that too. Sometimes it, it results in, you know, unparalleled genius he's he's a really clever player but it presents a lot of limitations to his game if he has to just stare at five guys and figure out how to get where he wants to go without a jump shot but yeah there there are inherent problems that come with how he matches up with Lowry so let's zoom out then I mean beyond matchups and just style of play you were saying before uh we turn the mic on you know the pace is one of Philadelphia's you know most uh definitive identity qualities uh, in the same way as Toronto. Uh, But do you think that's really to the Sixers' benefit if they start trying to play an up-tempo game? I, well, you can play up-tempo on one end. And it's, you don't actually play up-tempo on one end. But you, you can limit the other team's transition while going crazy on your own. And that's the type of transition that is usually... It's not artificial. It's usually fueled by deflections, turnovers, things like that. And Philadelphia is long. They have guys like Jimmy Butler who can, similar to Lowry, can stunt and can cheat and can play a really, I guess, wily type of defense. Joel Embiid provides a, like presents a lot of problems in the post if Lowry, Norm Powell, Kawhi Leonard we saw isn't one of the best finishers in the league at the rim. He struggled against Orlando Magic. Joel Embiid hanging out at the rim can provide a lot of um, problems for the Raptors, provided that they get there and he's waiting. If the 76ers get to maintain their defensive principle of keeping him and dropping him to the rim. But there's a lot of ways, especially with Ben Simmons and Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid, there's a lot of ways that the that the 76ers can get going in their own offense, get going in transition in their own way. It's something like one of their qualities of their team that's an identifying factor. And I think that they'll be able to push, but 
if they're good, they can also limit how the Raptors push. And that's that's a big ask of both Ben Simmons and Kyle Lowry. If Ben Simmons wants to try and push while also mitigating the transition points that the Raptors can get coming back, if Kyle Lowry wants to do the inverse, there's there's a lot of work to be done by both point guards, both pace setters on both teams. But I think that if either one plays it right, there's potential for one team to dominate the transition while also limiting the other. Yeah, and I think the key here, and really to the whole series, is Ben Simmons. I mean, Simmons at his best, which Toronto has not seen. Kawhi Leonard has bottled him up. But Simmons at his best um, can tilt the series. You know, If he gets out in transition, like you say, that's incredible for Philadelphia. And on the other end, Simmons is a defender the caliber of Kawhi Leonard and Pascal Siakam. I mean, transition defense requires length, athleticism, multiple effort, and intelligence. Simmons has all of those things, just like Jonathan Isaac did, um, which limited Toronto in transition in the last round. And so, and so I think Simmons will be the bellwether for a lot of how this series goes. We can sort of count on J.J. Redick getting his threes up. We can count on Jimmy Butler you know, getting relatively efficient clutch buckets. Um, but Simmons has the highest ceiling, non-Embiid ceiling, and the lowest floor. And uh, in transition, as in the series, he could really determine what happens. Totally. And as you alluded to earlier, you said that Kyle Lowry is, he's not the defender that Kawhi Leonard, Pascal Siakam, uh, Danny Green are, and maybe not the same type of defender that Gasol will be in this specific matchup with Embiid while still remaining a good defender. The 76ers have their own problem on the other side. Let's say a J.J. Redick, Tobias Harris, not known to be you know, world-enders on the defensive end. How do the Raptors specifically attack those two matchups on offense? Yeah, I mean, they, they did it in the later games of the Orlando series. Whoever the poor defender is, put him in a pick-and-roll. It's the simplest offensive set you can run. Um, the Kawhi Leonard, Marcus all pick and roll just got Leonard so many points when Vooch, no matter what Vooch did, if he showed high, Kawhi Leonard would either go around him, split, back up, and take him one on one. If he dropped, Leonard would drive into his body. If he switched, Leonard would pull up in his face. You know, and the same thing with uh, with JJ Redick. Run a lot of Kawhi Leonard, Danny Green screens. Um, Green will get a lot of open looks there, and if he short rolls it, Green even showed in the Orlando series. He has a little bit of passing chops on the short roll. Same with Tobias Harris because, I mean, I don't know where he hide him. He had, so I was actually surprised. He held Leonard and Siakam to 2 of 12 in the regular season in Toronto LA games. If he does that same level of um, inefficient, you know, forcing Toronto into inefficient scoring, that would be a huge win for Philadelphia. But you got to test him. And so no matter who he guards between Leonard or Siakam, um, the 3-4, three, 4-3 four, four, three pick and roll should be just a, a massive advantage for Toronto in this series as well. In, in, a, in a way that just wasn't against Aaron Gordon and Jonathan Isaac. Yeah, the 4-5 uh, the pick and roll was honestly a bigger matchup advantage for the Raptors in the Magic series than the 3-4. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, all of it. Embiid, as great as a defender as he is, you know, he drops insanely deep. And Toronto is five out. They have five guys who they're totally comfortable in the starting lineup shooting threes. Uh, so I think Toronto's ability to create efficient shots should be fairly simple. 
um, it, I mean, it comes with you have to make the shots, of course, but the, it shouldn't take a lot of work to create open shots. Whereas Philadelphia, uh, I don't see it being nearly as simple. Yeah. Well, I guess that's why, you know, you were so bold in your prediction of the series is the Raptors shouldn't have too much trouble creating shots that they like. It'll just be putting them down. Then that's something I talked about with Anna Jane Smith on the podcast the other day was that is that's the chicken and the egg concept is what happens to a defense after other teams start missing open shots and then how things evolve from there. The Raptors, things can get kind of difficult for them if they don't make their open shots from the onset. But they've they've shown us that they do make open shots. And, you know, even though there's a lot of anxiety that comes along with Raptors fandom, we, we're supposed to believe in them and we're supposed to believe that they will keep making open shots. And if that's the case, then I guess your bold predictions probably will ring true. And I feel like that's a good time for you to for you to air those out on air. Tell Let's us your bold it. predictions for this series. So I think the natural pick is, I mean, all the numbers are just massively in Toronto's favor. The only advantage Philadelphia has is in the paint. Um, you know, scoring in the paint, preventing baskets in the paint, offensive rebounding. And look, Embiid is, I mean, he could be seriously injured. Um, furthermore, Toronto's best point of their defense is preventing opponents scoring in the paint. It's just every number points towards huge advantages for Toronto. So I have Toronto in five. Um, a lot of really smart people think that that's kind of insane, but I got to stick to my guns. Uh, more so, if Embiid is as hurt as we think, uh, and since I made this pick, Mike Scott also has a right heel bruise, plantar fasciitis. He's the Sixers' best bench player. Their bench is even worse than Toronto's. So if Embiid remains injured, if Scott doesn't go, I have a sweep. I just don't see any way that Philadelphia can, um, over the course of, say, 100 possessions, just create better scoring chances than Toronto. Well, that's, that's nice to hear. I love a, I love a bold convert. prediction in Toronto's favor. I mean, not just... And the other thing about it, not just create scoring chances... Not only are they worse at making them, they're worth it. They're worse at actually converting scoring chances into scoring. Toronto, they're not a great shooting team, and Toronto is. Yeah, I'm getting Lots all worked up. What do you favor? <laughs> For me, so there's there's two things it hinges on. If Jimmy Butler is just Jimmy Butler, and Fred VanVleet returns to form, I think that means that the Raptors are in five. If, and I know that they're not against each other, but I think those are two things that matter to me a lot when considering this series. Because if Fred Manfleet leads the Raptors' bench minutes to, like, if he if they win those minutes, that is horrible news for the 76ers. If, because the Raptors, as we know, the Raptors' starting unit is, they are world-enders. They, they play very well, and they're tough to compete with. So Fred Manfleet leads the bench units to winning minutes, that's very bad news for the 76ers. If, and since you chose two, I'll choose two outcomes. If Jimmy Butler is on some stupid 40-point second half revenge tour for no reason type of business and is just going to do that, I think it's six games. But, I mean, how lucky are we that we get to say that if the third-best team in the Eastern Conference plays awesome, they'll still lose in six to the Raptors. So I 
I think it's five or six, depending on if Fred VanVleet can lead the bench to you know winning those minutes. I think it's five because I don't see the roadmap for how the 76ers are gonna beat the Raptors if they can't even like win bench minutes. And the transition minutes are going to be very important as well, like the stacking bench players with starters as well. But if Fred VanVleet plays well, that massages a lot of the anxiety and the problems that the Raptors have, and especially against the 76ers, who, like you said, have a very weak bench of Mike Scott, Boban Marjanovic, James Ennis, TJ McConnell. Like A lot of those guys will be picked on and will be big-time problems. And if the 76ers play TJ McConnell more than 10 minutes a game, then it's a sweep. <laughs> so off camp, off microphone, you were saying you were boldly going to predict Toronto in seven. You started at six, went to five. Now you're saying four? What is this? Well, they might do it in two, honestly. You know, that's just... <laughs> I, I, also, I also had the contingency plan that you, you might sway me. And That's true, so, you did uh, say that. I, there, you know, there's something about getting in a room with a guy, even though we're not in the same room, getting in a room with a guy that you agree with and just stacking your theories on top of one another. That's how people convince each other that the earth is flat. So I'm not particularly <laughs> surprised that you and I, you know, gleefully talking about how our favorite team matches up against another team results in me saying, you know what, these guys, they can do it. It'll be super easy. Five games, four, <laughs> maybe even three. Get them out of here. Like, uh, yeah, I'm not shocked. Come, in, Maybe yeah. it comes back to bite me. If they do win in seven, I'll claim that I knew all along, and I'll, I'll edit the podcast, and it'll, be, it'll just be me saying Raptors in seven on a loop for 30 minutes, but <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, not only is it, you know, guys like us, people who are, you know, our fandom is intertwined with their analysis. The national conversation around the Raptors right now, I mean, people are giddy. Lo and Arnovitz on their podcast, they were, they were just giggling talking about Toronto's defense. It's wild. Oh, by the way, did you, did you listen to the Matt Chance episode? Or Matt Chance, sorry. Uh, with you. Not yes, yeah. no. Oh, well, don't worry about it. I just need to... His voice sounds like as if it were a clone of Kevin Arnovitz's. Oh, it's damn. A, a, a real take, yeah. He's, he's got real radio voice. It's uh, audible chocolate. That sets Raptors Republic up for some sneaky schemes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I guess Kevin Arnovitz and Kevin Lohr and uh, Zach Lowe optimism is good a place to, to leave this as any. I feel like we talked about it a lot, and more people read than listen at our current publication. So I feel like we've given the people a decent look into it. And I'll say this right now. If you guys want a more concise version of this conversation that doesn't involve my musings about nothing and, uh, <laughs> you know, my imprint on this conversation has been just kind of like a child yelling. Uh, if you want a more concise version of it, just go read. <laughs> my voice cracked. Oh, my God. <laughs> go read Lewis. Lewis's uh, preview for the series. Who of this podcast? I mean, yeah, I know. These, Zarrar, what have you done, my guy? And if you want to read a very concise, intelligent, and uh, cerebral breakdown of the Raptors 76ers uh, series, you can do that at raptorspublic.com. And Lewis wrote.
And if you want to follow Lewis, Lewis, uh, shout yourself out. Tell everybody what to do. Yeah, man, at, at Lewis Atzman at, uh, on Twitter where, you know, all my – I save all my good thoughts for Twitter and just write the garbage ones at Raptors Republic. So, you know, far better Twitter follower than a, than a writer. No, but, uh, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that, buddy. It was a, it was a fun preview. Yeah, well, you did a fantastic job. I honestly, I feel like I only want the Raptors to go farther into the playoffs so that we can get more preview content from Lissette. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I've just really enjoyed your ascendance this year. Your writing has been so damn good. So I, I genuinely, this is this isn't just being pals, but man, I really get up to read your articles there. They're some of the best stuff I've read this year. And I, oh, if oh. anybody listening doesn't read Lewis, I, I strongly, I, I, I got to tell you, he's one of the best people to read this year. And as far as Raptors go, that's a top three guy right there. To play and devil's I, I, advocate. No, just kidding. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. And uh, I guess that's, that's as good a place to say goodbye <laughs> as any other. Lewis. Thank you so much for coming on. If anybody wants to follow him, he already said his name and his at going forward. To everybody listening, I hope you have a blessed day. I hope the Raptors win on Saturday. And uh, let's beat him in five. Lewis, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you, man. Okay. Bye, everybody.